Welcome to this episode of the Comic Book Season. This is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and about a year ago, I had opportunity to work with a comedian at the Bonkers in Cleveland. I featured for him. His name is Mark Evans. Uh, he's a road comedian with 20 years of experience. He's worked in clubs, casinos, carnivals. He's traveled uh, 46 states, many countries, overseas tours. Lovely, lovely man. Known for his brand, Southern Not Stupid. And he has that kind of southern charm, but also that kind of southern intellect that northerners sometimes overlook. Well, we sat down between shows, and I started asking him about religious satire and his perspective. Um, this was our meal break, so there's a little bit of background kitchen noise going on as we uh, cut our food and servers are in the background. But don't let that distract you. A very um, uh, insightful and interesting conversation. And in particular, uh, he tours the country, but his brand is associated with the South. He is based in Georgia. So, you know, I wanted to see what it was like working in the South and in the Bible Belt, and if he had any take on religious satire related to those geographical concerns. In the comedy world of road comics, uh, Mark Evans is a much-beloved figure, a gentleman, um, many friends, so nice to work with him and meet with him and we've stayed in touch ever since and i hope you enjoy this conversation we had about religious satire me and mark evans Welcome to the Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. I'm sitting here tonight at the Bonkers in Cleveland with tonight's headliner from Atlanta, Mark Evans, who is known for his brand, Southern Not Stupid. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for doing this conversation with us. In the Comical Heathen, I just like to talk to comedians, actors, artists, and other interesting people and get their take on a religious satire and humor and just how you see it. Well, um, give yourself some credit, too. You worked with me this weekend. You're performing. You're well, on the bill. Thank you, you sir. You had a great weekend, so thank let, you for let them so. know that, too. Yep. They didn't ask me to say this, but it's been a great weekend. Bonkers is great. Hopborough House is great. The Hermit Club is oh, great. It's, it's been an enjoyable weekend. I love coming up in the north in the winter. Yes, to do perfectly. Shows um, in this bad weather, all they want to do is drink and laugh. Well, you're based in Atlanta. Right. Are you originally from Atlanta? I was one of the few born there. Okay. <laughs> so I don't talk like it. If I talk like this, you might know it. But the nuns beat right. the accent out of me at an early age. I was uh, originally born in Kentucky and then moved up north, and so it's the opposite. Yeah. I, I talked like that until like age three. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to blend in in school, so I learned you to talk north. Stop getting beat up. Yes. Uh, yeah. You've been doing stand-up comedy for a while. How long have you been uh, performing? This, it'll be 23 years. Okay. April. All right. Excellent. And you do a lot of cruises? I haven't, but yeah. Okay. It's, it's a lot of fun, great money, great okay. travel. Okay. Well, in the Comical Heathen, I try to um, pick people's brains about religious satire. Mm -hmm. Whether you do it, whether you like it, legends, personal jokes, mm -hmm. there's really no agenda here. No. You mentioned Catholic school and nuns. You can talk about that for yeah. a minute. Well, one thing, it's, uh, it's kind of, you got to be careful doing religious jokes, that and political ones, because you're going to piss yes. off half the audience. Yes. No matter what. Yep. But yeah, I was uh, in Catholic confinement, as George Carlin put it, from <laughs> kindergarten through eighth grade. So it means I hate nuns. Yes. Okay. <laughs> they're, the, they're the Fourth Reich, man. They're evil. Okay. You know those uh, right. those old stories you heard right. about the brass knuckle yes. rulers right. crossing? They're all true. They're all true. They're all true. You're they're confirming true. that. Yes. They're not just jokes or urban legends. Yeah. Nope. They're the okay. truth. And they, then they, when you graduate, they get nice to you because they still want to go to heaven. 
Sure. And once when, when I was graduating eighth grade, this is when I should have known I was going to be a comic. <laughs> I was graduating eighth grade. We're at the reception, and the mm-hmm. crowd parted. Mm-hmm. And our principal, mm-hmm. we called her Sister Mary Elephant. If anybody remembers the old Cheech and Chong tape, because she was about three and a half feet tall, weighed about four fifty. Okay? Can I ask what school if you want to say, or do you not want it to say? It was called Saint John's. Saint John's, mm-hmm. graduating from eighth grade. Yeah. Well, I, the crowd parts, and she's there's a young couple with a new baby, and she's holding the baby all happy and smiley. And I've got my diploma in my hand, so I know she can't touch me anymore. And I walked up at 13 years old, I looked at her and went, Sister, I didn't know. <laughs> the husband tries not to laugh. The woman's mortified. She just goes cutting daggers, staring at me. I went, you can't touch me anymore. Yes. <laughs> you know, Catholic or parochial schools are usually private. Yeah. I think they hope their alums will become donors. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why they become nicer to you after you graduate. That might be it. Yes. Yeah. I don't suppose you've ever donated any not money penny, to any of your not old a schools. Penny. I'm spiritual. I believe in God. Okay. But I don't. After what I went through, okay. I don't believe in organized religions. Uh, there was a time uh, when uh, I got married. Uh, she was Italian. Folk, we had to have everything Catholic, which is fine. But you, you have to go to these classes mm-hmm. that the priest teaches. Which right. I was like, what do you know about this? Right. And uh, when we went to church. Um, is this, this you got to see this place? It's called Christ the King in Atlanta. It looks okay. like they picked up a castle from Europe and placed it in Atlanta. <laughs> Beautiful place, just money everywhere. The golden chalices and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And the the priest brought this family of five up to the altar. Okay. Um, very middle class, very clean, but everything secondhand. You could tell, but they're a nice, happy little okay. family. And he was um, uh, applauding them for their tithing of ten percent of their gross income. Okay. He said gross income. Right. And I was like. You couldn't say net. Right. <laughs> you had to say gross to get more. You got all this money, and yes. I started fuming shit, dragged right. me out of the church. How old were you? Uh, I was 31, oh, 31. I think, when I, got, okay. when I got married that time. So. Okay. Okay. 54 now. Do you um, occasionally still go to a church? No. Well, okay. there was times over the years I'd be dating a girl that wanted right. me to go to church with him. I, you know, I, I went in with an open mm-hmm. mind, and some were good. Sure. Some just pissed me off. I've done the same. I found... Um, in high school and college, I dated a lot of Methodist girls. I'm not quite sure why. That's Catholic light. Yes. <laughs> and, they uh, let their priests have sex. Well, I, uh, with can, people knowing about uh, it. Yes, openly. <laughs> yes, it's a rule. Um, and as a Jewish person, I always found, and I just mean this as like an observation, doesn't have to be too deep, but a lot of the imagery, like the pain glass windows and mm-hmm. the crucifixes, are a Jewish man being tortured. And it always <laughs> yeah. made me uncomfortable in a yeah, way that I couldn't that's... explain to the people around me. Like, you know, a cute girl or something like, oh, yeah, nice service. Uh, yeah. But inside, I'm thinking, well, that was kind of morbid, actually. Or if you come down south, I'm sure all the rednecks going, he killed Jesus. I heard was, that in the yeah. in grade school. I'd yeah. say by high school, that was gone. But in elementary good. school, I, I did hear that a couple of times. Um, now, do you feel like that, like the advice is, if you do political, you do religion, you risk losing half the audience? Yeah. I mean, have you seen that in action? You oh, think yeah. that's like a real concern? Yeah. You got to be careful, right? Um, were you going to play that bit? Sure. Well, then, yes. You, so you have, you've been doing okay, a bit all weekend about Hobby Lobby, and yeah. I can. Uh, I'll drop that in here so the audience okay. listening at home can hear. And we'll pretend we already had the pause now. Sure. When we get there, August first heat wave. They've already decorated the entire store for Christmas. Does that piss anybody else off? Yeah. I mean, you're skipping five holidays. It's hot. I'm in a bad mood. I get past all the Christmas trees, the back wall, nothing but manger scenes, okay? So, Mary wasn't even showing yet. <laughs> it's okay to laugh, God knew. He was a baby daddy. <laughs>
Okay. Uh, and so what I, would you like to I say did, about that thing? I actually, it always works really good, but one time I was in Miami. And I did mm-hmm. that joke. And if people know the population of Miami, I got stared at by 300 Jews. <laughs> There's one Christian in there that laughed. I had to stop and go, could you go explain that to everybody? So I want everybody to enjoy the show. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of biting religious satire, that's a pretty audience-friendly bit, yeah, yeah. I think. Does it, it's got to be careful. Does it have a... Does that joke have a genesis like how'd you think of it or why do you um, like doing it or actually i was it, when it really happened i was <laughs> there and it was it was really august and it was really hot mm-hmm. and um we uh were in there this girl drugged me there i did not want to be there right. and i was just pissing and moaning about right. it you know i was just being a jerk and uh we went by the uh manger scenes right. and i really said you know, Mary's not even showing yet. We both just stopped and looked at each other. And she goes, that's funny. I went, yeah, it's a keeper. <laughs> I mean, you see, you know, sort of legends like a George Carlin or even a Lewis Black or others we could name do religious humor. But they have like a kept audience. Yeah. Like they're coming to see a known brand that's known for doing satire or religious yeah, satire. That's the difference between what you and I do. We come to a place where people come to see comedy. Yes. Now, in those situations, they come to see them. Yes. So that's... Um, Bigger fan base right. and uh, you a lot more uh, mm-hmm. leeway. I certainly have uh, religious satire available in my repertoire, but I would say in an average comedy club where I'm hosting or featuring, I'm never going to do it. I'm just it's, you got to be careful. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what, if you're going to do anything like that, mm-hmm. you have to do it later in your show once you've established likability. Yes. If you got the audience that really likes you, yes. then you can get away with murder. But you do it too early. Like I did that joke right. too early once, right? And uh, oh, they hated me. They um, also, I I found college towns you can do more satire. Yeah. Just in general. That um, makes sense. I can see in, that. In Kent and Ann Arbor and Bowling Green, these are sort of Midwest towns that have, uh, college towns that have comedy venues. Yeah. And whether it's well, students or faculty or education people that like level. to follow Dave Attell. Um, yes. Or, um, oh, I can't even think of his name now. Mm-hmm. Doug Stanhope. Sure. If anybody knows that, that, that guy, he doesn't even play clubs anymore because he he's right. walks too many rooms, but he's got to follow him. Yes. Um, what, for you either now as, you know, a well-established uh, touring professional or as a young person, is there anyone who did religious satire in the old days, like legends or famous uh, well, George that Carlin inspired you talked about, anyway? He, or, George yeah. Carlin went to Catholic schools. That's right. And he did a couple of bits. One was... Um, uh, well, I don't want to sit here and do his act, but no, no, he said the thing you about... Can, you can uh, reference the joke yeah. without stealing it. <laughs> Once a week, uh, the priest would always come to teach religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they'd come up with questions, he said, yes. to uh, stump the priest. Okay. Goes, if God is so almighty powerful, can he make a rock so big that he himself can't lift it? Ah. Right. <laughs> or he said, if you're on a ship mm-hmm. and it's the last Sunday of Pentecost mm-hmm. and you haven't had communion, mm-hmm. and then you cross the international date right. line, <laughs> and they always finish it with, would that there be a sin, Father? Right. So he... Did that, and especially since he was in Catholic schools, that I was sure. in Catholic schools, and that right. happened. So I really, you so, know, it, is, it meant a lot to me to hear that. What do you think about? I found, um, and uh, meeting I like a lot. Mark Maron does this sometimes when comedians are going to segue into religious satire. They find a way of like setting it up at the beginning so that it's not about the people in the audience. Yeah. So like you, you do a couple of Amish jokes, for example. They're not real religious, but just yeah. you say it's the Amish. Then the audience knows it's not them, or yeah. you might say like religious nuts. Have you seen these religious nuts? And then if the audience is in yeah. the right mood, then they don't think you're talking about them. Oh, there's this one guy. No, in the uh, the food chain, you can never shoot down. Right, jerk. Um, Dennis Miller put it best. He goes, "I'm a white Protestant 
uh, male. I'm everybody's asshole. So you can't pick on anybody hardly. Right. But you can always shoot up the food chain yes. and get, okay, uh, um, and I'm not making judgments here, but blacks can pick on whites. Whites yes. can't pick on blacks. Right. And if you're Jewish, you're in the minority. Right. So you can make fun. You hear a million comics that are Jewish right. that do that, and they get away with it. But if I started picking on right. Jews, then, then, then I'm a jerk. Um, there was one guy who had the funniest line ever. He's a, um, I wish I could remember his right. name, but he's a prominent big-time right. comedian, and he lived in Kentucky. Okay. He goes, I'm the only Jew in Kentucky. If you want to write me, just write the Jew, Kentucky, <laughs> and they'll deliver the letter to me. You know, I think it's funny in that in that category, and he's just a big time guy, which is which is Louis C.K. Yeah, because when I f- first discovered his stand up a few years ago, I think when he was starting to really blow up, and he would just like he had kind of like a street cred where he could say anything that sort of other comedians can't. Yeah. Then he's got at, a fan base that allows him to do that. But yeah. he also though is um, part Mexican and part Jewish, so even I though he stands that. there looking like a ginger. Yeah. He does actually have, I mean, again, I don't know, like, I didn't know that when I first heard him. I just thought he was, like, brave. And he is brave. <laughs> but when I discovered he had, like, that kind of background, I was like, oh, well, that's, of course he can say these jokes. <laughs> well, it's funny. Carlos Mencia, uh-huh. though he makes all these jokes about Mexicans being beaners and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, you, you, I'm, you probably already know he's been called out for being a joke. Yes. Piece. Well, here's the other part. I don't know if you knew this. He's Lithuanian and German. He's not even Mexican. That, that can't be true. That's a made-up name. I want to His say... His name is Ned Lugren. Ned, something like that. And so, but he took on the accent and he had the look. So he's the Mexicans should be pissed. I am definitively going to fact-check this. Yeah. <laughs> and post it on my uh Go to website. Joe JoeRogan.net or Joe, okay. Joe Rogan, because he's the one that really called him out on everything. <laughs> so he's the anti-Louis C.K. Yeah. He has no street cred yeah. for anything that he's saying. But... It, you know, comedy is the only, I hate to say art form, but right. entertainment, sure. uh, where plagiarism's not a problem. It's, yep. if, if the audience still likes mm-hmm. you, they're going to like you. Sure. And, uh, you know, any well, other you, part, music. You do a lot of can, cruise ships, and, um, I mean, you're, of course, established pro. But I'll ask your opinion about this, just because we've stumbled on joke thieves. Uh, cruise ship comedians have a bad reputation for being joke thieves. They did in the past because that was like where comedians went to go retire and die. Okay. But it's gotten a little better now since there's a lot of clubs closed around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the cruises have become so much. The ships are just not what they were 30 years ago. They're big. They're beautiful. They mm-hmm. pay great. Mm-hmm. You get. Uh, it's a great life. Don't, it's bittersweet because I'm in these beautiful islands, but I'm by myself. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's the hard part. Right. But um, uh, they uh, they kind of shaken that because of the different kind of comics out there now. But yeah, since it was the ones that uh, would wear a tuxedo with the fluffy shirt yes. and just do hack material. Right. That was the uh, the old days of it. Right. I've, I've, I mean, you probably have too, and listeners have too. I've heard any number of sort of old pros. I've heard Richard Lewis complain about this, where cruise ship comedians like take a couple DVDs with them mm-hmm. of oh, famous to, to, comedians. To study for their to shows. To study for their shows. Like, I, that's just sort of the rumor of the matter. I don't know how true it that is. It was like that. But nowadays, the comics that are out there... Um, with your cruise ships and some other stories I've heard, you've traveled mm-hmm. and spent some time alone traveling. Ever oh, yeah. any um, interesting experiences? I don't know. You meant you've described yourself as a believer and a little bit spiritual. So, is there any interesting spiritual uh, stops along on these well, trips I mean, around 40, the world? I've worked forty-five states, a bunch of ships, and several countries. Okay. And um, 
you know, sometimes you know you do get there's like there's no real uh, atheists in foxholes, right? <laughs> when you're driving cross country, right. you know, suddenly you know you're religious. <laughs> um, I haven't seen anything per se like that, but just the different I, cultures. I think you might be literally the first person to describe driving across country as a like a religious, <laughs> spiritual. Well, have you ever driven across to... Kansas? I have not. <laughs> Big and flat. And just, the old joke was, if you had a strong enough pair of binoculars, you could look and see the back of your own head. <laughs> if your dog ran away, you could watch it for three days. And here's how I tell you. If you're driving across Kansas, this is what you do. You set the cruise control on a good speed, mm -hmm. then get back and sleep because sure. you're not going to hit anything. Right. Um, do you, if, your states you've been to, um, do you have those like these markers, historical markers sure. for a famous battle? Well, I'm driving along Kansas a few hours. There's a speed bump. Okay. And next to it's a historical marker. Okay. As I rolled up on the top of the speed bump, it says you are now at the highest point of Kansas. So, <laughs> but you know when you, um, it gets scary. You know, nodding out. Right. I mean, I put forty to fifty thousand miles a year sure. on my car, and uh, yeah. you see everything. And I, I've seen places and cultures that I never would have seen in my old corporate world. Right. But I don't have most of them. I don't even want to see again. Sure. But at least I saw them once, and that's right. big. Well, the years I spent myself traveling in Japan and in New Zealand in particular, oh, yeah, I, different I would, countries you've really I would have go. opportunities to visit sort of like the temples of indigenous people. So just without going into detail. A lot of Buddhists, being, I guess, over that way. Yeah, Buddhists in Shinto in Japan. And then in New Zealand, uh, indigenous people are called Maoris. And modern Maoris are one of these sort of high-bred, semi-Christian, but still with traditional beliefs. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. in, in the for, South, most of the people that think thinks Buddhist is the god of hibachi cooking. That's, that's all they know about Buddhists. Oh, but I, I enjoy hibachi cooking. I love it. That's that's a good time. Yeah. The little uh, mm -hmm. onion volcano and all that yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> love that stuff. Sorry. Didn't no, need to get okay. off the subject. I, I went to a very cheap hibachi where they do the thing where you throw the, the shrimp in your face. Yeah. But they threw cauliflower. No, oh, they didn't afford the shrimp. Yeah, me and my wife were like, what's the deal with the cauliflower up in here? You know, we never went back to that place. You can't throw one piece of shrimp at my face. I'm not going. <laughs> but so, so and, uh, I know I have not been, but the oldest um, synagogue in the Western Hemisphere is in the Caribbean. Oh, really? As well, yes. What? What? what Caracal. Really? Yes. That was like an old Dutch colony. Okay. And uh, I don't know like, the exact details, but say when you travel, you have a chance to see churches. And, yeah. The cultures of other people, so I don't know if you had a chance to see oh, anything. Oh, the islands with the Spanish influence is a lot of Catholic. Sure. So I already yeah. knew that and yes. <laughs> didn't pursue it anymore. Right. Well, what do you think? Uh, well, we can wrap up here in a minute, but uh, any other just thoughts or, or wisdom or advice about religious satire or satire? Uh, just or? Have to be careful right. and uh, try to, you know, like anything in comedy, if you're cutting yourself down, right. you're not hurting feelings usually. But then again, there's going to be people. Well, I think that the slightest thing is going to offend them. I think that's so. enough with political and religious satire as well. Is or just that, comedy in general. That, well, that sometimes people like are trying to be edgy, but they forget they have to be funny. Yeah. So it's not necessarily younger comics. The audience's like fault necessarily. Like the comedian's thinking, "Oh, I told a religious joke, and so now they hate me." Or maybe you just told a joke that wasn't funny, that might, and now yeah. they hate you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not so, the audience's so fault. So if you're going to go edgy. It's sort of like twice as important to be funny. Well, first you got to establish likability. Yes. I think I said that a little while ago. That's yes. the most important thing. If you've got an audience to like you, you can get away with murder. Yes. And uh, But uh, like I, we were talking earlier before this, I said that um, I don't write uh, anything to take cheap shots. If right. I think my, if I'm giving my God's honest opinion, mm -hmm. then I don't care if anybody doesn't like it because it's my opinion. It means nothing. Right. But I won't write something mean just to get a cheap shot to get a cheap right. laugh. 
Right. And uh, a lot of the newer comics are guilty of that. Right. Okay. All right. So just to be true to yourself, that's oh, I, I went this whole time and that didn't sound corny. <laughs> but You're it, doing so good up until yeah, then. But yeah, just uh, write about you. Um, you write what um, what you think is funny, not what other people think mm-hmm. is going to be funny. Yep. And you'll do a lot better. And uh, if religion or politics come into it, then so yep. be it. And it's an election year, so. I don't even mess with it because every other comic's doing Donald Trump jokes sure. and things like that. So I did one tonight. Okay. <laughs> and I, I can't write as good as some people. So um, it's like when OJ was on trial. Right. I just was, had just been in it a couple of years, hmm. and everybody was doing OJ jokes. And right. so I didn't even compete right. with that. Although I did do one. <laughs> it was, um, remember the famous, if it, the gloves didn't fit, and yes. Johnny Cochran's, if they don't fit, you must have quit. Yes. He was screaming. Says, what the, the real story behind that is uh, they're in his jail cell prepping him. Right. For that day's uh, uh, trial. And there, his cell's right next to the showers. Okay. And in the showers, somebody was screaming. He's bent over going, it don't fit. <laughs> Quit. <laughs> so that's where that came from. <laughs> now you've given me two homework projects. That's so I'm going right. to check into that story, too. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, thank you very much for doing uh, this. Thanks for and having I me. I appreciate your contribution. It was a lot of fun. All right, thank you. Good luck. Well, thank you, Mark Evans, for sharing. I love his story about the um, creation of his joke and how it was about Christmas retail, how the retail response to Christmas. But as soon as Jesus got brought up, he was feeling it from the audience. Um, I was glad I was able to capture that joke during one of his sets so you could get a flavor of what his comedy is like. So thank you, uh, Mark Evans. You can see his website and his merchandise site and a music video he produced in the written description of this podcast. So make sure you check that stuff out. As you know, my wife and I keep two beautiful Holland Lops, Kevin Bacon and Newton. We've become quite the rabbit enthusiasts. Collecting rabbits is similar to getting tattoos. Once you get one or two, you become addicted. So there may be another rabbit in our future sometime soon. One of the things about being a rabbit owner is that you learn about rabbit teeth. Rabbit teeth never stop growing, which in the wild is not necessarily a problem because they do so much chewing on wild materials that uh, keeps the teeth sort of trimmed naturally. But when you keep them indoors and in cages, their teeth grow longer. And it's not uncommon for rabbits to have dental problems. Our veterinarian told us about one in three house rabbits' teeth need some kind of um, dental attention. Unfortunately for our little Newton, he had to have his two lower teeth removed. They, No matter how much they were trimmed, every time they grew back, every time they grew back, they were just not straight. So we took him in, and uh, we had to leave him for the morning. And uh, when we picked him up, he was, of course, uh, a little bit sedated and a little bit uh, tender and wary. In fact, if you have a rabbit that gets a procedure like that and you keep more than one rabbit, you also have to keep them apart for a couple of days because they like to jump on each other and climb on each other. But then after you keep them apart for a couple of days, you have to go back to the rebonding process. So I won't go into all of that now, but safe to say, Kevin Bacon and Newton are back together. Happy uh, husband and huswife, bun wife, <laughs> husband and bun wife. Um, with all of their grooming and snuggling that makes keeping multiple rabbits so cute. Uh, One of the interesting things about keeping rabbits is that we keep their cage aligned with newspapers 
seems to be one of the last practical uses for old-fashioned print papers. As we put that lining into the cages, it turns out I start reading headlines again. I haven't read headlines for years, uh, thanks to the internet and whatnot. And now, because of our rabbits and rabbit cages, I find myself reading headlines. Every once in a while, headline, some religious uh, content pops out, and I always wonder what that's about. Uh, as I went over the rabbit hutch, and this was a little bit different. Uh, the page in the rabbit hutch had the TV listings, and a show popped out. The show's been on for a few weeks now, and I just realized it. It's a new CNN series called Believer with Reza Aslan. Hey, when I first saw that, I was like completely confused because I didn't know that Reza Aslan was such a Justin Bieber fan. But when I looked a little closer, it turns out that it's actually a uh, interesting TV show in which well-known scholar of religion Reza Aslan travels the world, Anthony Bourdain style, doing a kind of religious tourism. So I got a little interested, so I thought I'd give it a chance, and I think people listening to this podcast might be interested in a show like that. So I thought, what the heck, I'll watch a couple episodes and give you a little review. So I watched the first episode. Here's a few things I noticed. Early on in the first episode, Aslan states his position on everything and his approach to religion, that it's part of culture, cultural practices, that religion and culture are one in the same for Aslan. Kind of like a Nordic woodsman assuming that people who live in the desert must wear the pelts of animals with less hair. I wonder if he was raised in a culture where religion is as common as Seinfeld reruns. But I don't want to just quibble about that. Let's just see what it show's about. First episode is pretty interesting. Uh, his idea is to travel the world and experience some sort of fringe religious groups, things, groups you might not have heard of, practices you might not be familiar with. His first episode travels to India to learn more about Hinduism. He's particularly interested in a couple things. First of all, he does explain the caste system. It turns out uh, that the caste system in Bollywood is completely different than the caste system in Hollywood. Uh, one uses couches, the other uses cows. In India, the caste system has different social levels from the untouchables at the bottom up to the Brahmins, the top, and everyone is born into some level in that system. If you uh, live your life well, according to Hinduism, you might be born into the womb of an upper-class woman. Actually, to understand the caste system in India, you kind of have to understand karma and not just the free credit score kind. I'm actually glad Aslan took a minute to explain karma because it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't like to see tip jars labeled karma jars. Calling tips karma is like calling your phone bill a prayer request. I mean, I always juke my change at the coffee shop because I don't mind helping out the world's underpaid coffee barristers. But tipping is not the same as karma. Real karma in the Hindu spiritual sense requires both reincarnation, which leads to your next life, and the caste system, which determines the socially confining box you'll be living in once you arrive there. Aslan explains that from to become an untouchable, uh, from the Hindu perspective, is not an accident. It's the result of bad karma. Uh, that's the Hindu perspective. Probably everyone else being born an untouchable sounds like a pretty bad accident. In fact, accident is literally a synonym for pregnancy. Well, legally speaking, the caste system is unconstitutional in India, but in, for practical purposes, it is still observed in many uh, rural and traditional environments. I mean, you probably have a working understanding of how stereotypes operate. If you've ever had a chance to visit the planet Earth, you know, Reza considers Hinduism to be a beautiful religion, but also disturbed that it's used as a justification for the caste system. And to me, that's a common problem with a lot of religions. They may have beautiful or inspiring aspects, but that usually comes coupled with some disturbing elements too. And if you've ever dated a model, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Of course, India is a big country, and Hinduism is a large and complicated religion. 
So it's interesting, Aslan approaches it by investigating and meeting practitioners of a cult called the Agori. Agori started about 500 years ago and are known to be around the city of Varanasu. Varanasu is an Indian city on the Ganges that is known for its crematoriums. Uh, Aslan refers to it at one point as the city of the dead. In fact, sometimes elderly people travel to Varanasu near the ends of their lives specifically to die there. So it's kind of like our Miami Beach. The city has over 80 crematoriums located right on the river, handling about 100 corpses a day. Collectively, that means over 8,000 corpses in that one city just for those official crematoriums. One thing about the Agori is they are opposed to the caste system. For them, their god is the creator. The creator created everyone, and therefore everyone and everything lives uh, within everyone, and the creator lives within everyone, and everybody must be considered equal. It should be pointed out that that is Agori's theology, not necessarily mainstream Hindu philosophy. And since each belief system is based on the logic of revelation, neither can really claim any higher ground based on, you know, shall we say, logic. Anyway, as the episode moves along, Aslan starts meeting some Agori practitioners. The Agori are known for being uh, cannibals, for being corpse handlers, and for having some very theatrical elements to their cultural religious practices. He meets a, a Nagori guru called Lali Baba, and that is his exact name. I transcribed it off the door to his temple. Lali Baba is very welcoming. Lali Baba shows Aslan his skull collection and says that all the skulls are from holy people, points to one skull and says that skull's name is Motherfucker, which is the most colorful name for a holy person since little Richard became a preacher. Lali Baba tells Aslan that there's only one key to understanding the Agori, and that is himself the guru, which is a very convenient for the guru, but not as convenient for the person who is looking for a guru. Gurus always insist that you need them specifically for spiritual enlightenment, and that they need you to pay for their electrical enlightenment, and other utilities such as food, rent, and so on. Lali Baba tells Aslan that human flesh is sweet and tasty, though I myself would prefer some free-range human flesh raised without steroids. Aslan has a chance to meet another Agori guru who lives down on the river, sitting by a fire with some other disciples. This guru leads Aslan on some theatrical rituals, naked, covered in ash. He insists that the first thing Aslan must do is go fully into the Ganges River and completely immerse himself. And Aslan is hesitant, even describes himself as a bit of a germaphobe, but he decides he's here to have experiences and to participate, so he goes into the Ganges, and he completely dunks his head in the water. His head dramatically comes back out of the water, and it is awesome to see not a single rat or syringe stuck to his scalp. This guru covers Aslan's skin in ash from the cremations and does other theatrics and cannibalism and bones and meats. Aslan keeps asking him questions, and so finally this scary guru warns him that if he keeps asking questions, the guru will cut off his head. This prompts Aslan to call the director over and ask if he can please go home now. But the mean director makes him stay. After that, the guru takes a dump right in front of him, in front of the camera, and then chases Aslan around with the feces. This causes Aslan to run off, shouting like an imperial stormtrooper. This is not the Agori I'm looking for. Later on in the episode, back in the city, Aslan meets some more modern Agori, some who have abandoned all the theatrics and the cannibalism, but embrace the Agori message of egalitarian compassion. He meets an Agori who runs an orphanage. He meets one who runs a school, one who, who runs a clinic that takes care of lepers, and all of whom advocate basic humanity for each person. He meets an Agori scholar who explains that one does not need the theatrics or the caste system. You don't need karma. 
You just need to be a good person and all other things will follow. So apparently, Aslan had to travel halfway around the world to India to learn the golden rule, the oldest known lesson in human ethics, second only to move your feet, lose your seat. Near the end of the episode, while intermingling with these more contemporary and compassionate glory, Aslan says, Now this was the guru I was looking for. And I think we can sympathize with these Aghori's messages of compassion and abandoning the caste system. But, from a theological perspective, shopping for a guru is the Hindu equivalent of cherry-picking quotes out of the Bible or the Koran. Of course, if you go looking for something that affirms the values you already have, you'll eventually find a guru who teaches what you already believe in. Say one last thing about the show. I've watched the first few episodes. Reza Aslan's Believer which has nothing to do with Justin Bieber and has everything to do with kind of religious religious cultural tourism and which airs on CNN. The first season has six episodes and there are plans for a second season. Those the comical heathen, I do spot some logical inconsistencies, generalizations, and a little bit of what might be likened to a touristy approach to the subject. I found the show enjoyable and anyone interested in world religions or world culture would probably enjoy it. And that is what I found at the bottom of the rabbit hutch today. Since I consider misinformation a sin, I call this misinformation. Whenever I see examples of misinformation, I have to speak out. I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time, but hey, it's not about your dogma. It's my karma, and I'm all about spreading the love. So it just remains for me to thank my guest today, Mark Evans. Remember, Southern, not stupid. I'd like to thank my advisor, Jeff Geddert, for all of his feedback and help and for some supplemental written material. And the lovely organ music you hear at the beginning and ending of every episode is by my friend Mark Bell. So it just remains for me, your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, to thank you for listening to this episode of The Comical Heathen. <laughs> <laughs>